So now we get into some pretty heavy duty parts of Revelation. It's Revelation 17, it's a history, future, and fall of Mystery Babylon, the false religious system that started with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. So it's a big topic, so we'll take at least two weeks to get through it. What I'll do first is I'll pray and then we'll just revise last week and then we'll jump in and read the chapter. So Father, I thank you for what you've done in writing down the future before it happens. And because of that, we know that you are outside of time and you are in control because you tell us what's going to happen before it happens, proving that you are the creator of this universe. You are the God who knows everything and you are the God who controls everything. You are on the throne and Lord, we have nothing to fear. So we can see these things and apply these things from a worldwide perspective. I pray that you help us to apply these things to our personal lives, Lord, where we can see that you are in control of our personal lives. And no matter how bad things may seem, Lord, you are in control, you are on the throne, and you are doing a work, and you are going to bring victory to our lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in us. And we thank you for what you are doing in us. Lord, that victory is not always what we think it's going to be. But what it always is, is it changes us to become more like you. And in the end, our enemies will be defeated and we will be victorious over anything that tried to destroy us. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week in chapter 16, we went through... The seven golden bowl judgments. And remember those golden bowls were like censers. They came from the temple or came out of the temple. And in the temple they put incense on these things. In the Old Testament temple and put fire on it, coals, and it would make smoke. It will make incense. It's burning incense. So these is God's answer to the prayers of God's saints. Now, do you guys remember what the prayers of God's saints were that we spoke about last week? How long... O Lord, until what? You avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers. What have the unbelievers done? They killed them. Treated them very badly. And so the first bowl was the loathsome and painful sores for those who had or will take the mark of the beast. The second bowl is all the oceans turn to blood and every living thing in the oceans die. The third bowl was the rivers and streams turn to blood, so the fresh water on land is all turned to blood. The fourth bowl is that the sun scorches the earth and becomes very hot, so hot that you'll burn if you're outside most likely. Fifth bowl, darkness and pain on the kingdom of the Antichrist, that's most likely Western Europe. And sixth bowl, the Euphrates River is dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And that's China, you know, Japan, India, all those countries who will come across into Israel and getting ready for the Battle of Armageddon. And that's when Jesus comes back and destroys all these armies that are gathered together to fight against him. And the seventh bowl, you have this massive earthquake which is going to flatten every single building on the earth. And there's going to be 40 roughly 40 kilo hailstones, about 100 pounds, I think it was, one talent. And that's all over the earth. 
So that's taking us right to the end of the tribulation. The only thing missing now is for Jesus to come back and wipe this massive army out. Once he's done that, once he's wiped this army out, he regenerates the earth, he sets up his kingdom, and he reigns over all the earth for how many years? 1,000 years. Okay. Now, Revelation chapters 17 and 18 come between chapter 16 and 19, obviously. And they explain why this judgment is happening, and they explain how the people were deceived, and what these two systems were that the Antichrist used to control the world. So basically, chapter 17 is the religious mystery Babylon, the one world religious system that will morph into or become during the time of the tribulation. And chapter 18 describes the economic or political mystery Babylon and its destruction. So basically today in chapter 17 we're going to see the origin, future and the end of this mystery Babylon religious system. Alright, so let's jump in. We'll read through Revelation chapter 17 and get the big picture and then we'll start putting it together. So, Revelation 17, 1 to 18. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, or golden censers, came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, that's spiritual adultery in this context, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Sexual immorality is the word there. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And we'll find out later this woman is Mystery Babylon, the religious system, and the beast is the government of the Antichrist, made up of ten kingdoms, or ten leaders, ten rulers, ten kings, who will give their power and authority to the Antichrist. It's the government that will rule during the tribulation. The woman was, verse 4, arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication or immorality. Verse 5, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs, or witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled or wondered with great amazement. Verse 7 But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman, and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. That's the Antichrist. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they say the beast that was and is not and yet is. So here is a mind which has wisdom. Seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Most people take that to be Rome. 
There are also seven kings or seven kingdoms. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. That's the the seven world empires since Egypt. So you got Egypt and then so next one. Assyria and then Babylon and then the Medes and Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And the Romans was the one that was is. And then the revived Roman Empire, the, the feet of iron and clay are the ones which is yet to come. So that's the five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. So this last kingdom only lasts for seven years. It's the tribulation. So verse 11 describes the Antichrist, the beast that was and is not, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So he comes from the seventh kingdom, this revived Roman Empire, and he is going to rule it. But he is going to lead people to destruction. And then verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. That is, they reign with the Antichrist during the seven-year tribulation. These are of one mind or purpose, and they will give their power and authority to the beast, the Antichrist. They will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him, the raptured church, are called chosen and faithful. So, this is exciting. The whole world unites against Jesus. Jesus comes back, destroys them. And guess who's with him? The church. And those who are with him, that's the raptured church, the church who went to heaven seven years earlier, are called, now what are we called? What does it say? What's our description? Chosen and faithful. Ah, So I guess how God sees us even right now. Chosen and faithful, because he sees the future, yeah? He sees us as we will be, not as we are. In the scriptures, it actually says that we are already sanctified, even though we can't see it as being finished yet. All right, verse 15. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. That indicates that her dominion is worldwide. This, this false religious system, this one world religion, will be worldwide. Verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, and eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill or execute his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast, the Antichrist, until the words of God are fulfilled. So this woman, this false religious system at the halfway point is destroyed by the Antichrist. And as we'll learn later, the Antichrist and Satan want to be worshipped directly, not some ecumenical false religion, that's not enough now. They want all the glory. They're not going to share their glory with any kind of false system of religion. And verse 18 to finish, And the woman whom you saw is a great city which reigns, and that is is reigning, over the kings of the earth. So at the time, that was Rome, when John was writing this. So, Scripture interprets Scripture. And in verse 9 it says, Here is a mind which has wisdom. So how Lindsay says, like, this is the plot point. This is where the angel is saying that he would explain the meaning of all the symbols used in the first half of the chapter. 
So overall, the book of Revelation is not that hard to understand. Why? Because all the explanations, all the interpretations of those symbols, the meanings, the literal meanings of those symbols are already in the Bible. You just got to find them. And like in this chapter, a lot of the time, the symbols and figures of speech and stuff are described later on in the chapter. So it'll explain itself. It will interpret itself. So it's not so hard, even though when you read it, it's like, what is that talking about? So the two main things here in this chapter are the harlot and the beast. Okay, The harlot is the false religious one-world religion, the mystery Babylon, and the beast is the Antichrist and his world-dominating government. Okay, there's one world government. Now, Babylon. Need to go back and look at Babylon. What do we know about Babylon? Well, here's some interesting facts. Okay, in Revelation 16, 19, and 14, 8, it's already declared that Babylon will fall. But it didn't tell us how. In Revelation 17 and 18, the fall or destruction of Babylon, both the religious ecumenical side of it and the government economic side of it is explained how they will be destroyed. Now, Babylon is mentioned 287 times in scriptures. Now, I didn't look that up. I just got that from a quote. And it's more than any other city except Jerusalem. So it's a very prominent city. It's a literal city on the Euphrates River. And Genesis 11, 1-10 shows that right after the flood, Babylon was the seat of the civilization that expressed organized hostility to God. This is where mankind united and rebelled against God. And we have the Tower of Babel, so you can read that back in Genesis 11. Later on, Babylon was the capital of the empire that cruelly conquered Judah. They were very cruel in the way they treated the people of Judah. But Judah deserved that because they were so unfaithful to God and God was using Babylon to judge them. And in the scriptures, Babylon became associated with organized idolatry, like organized religion, blasphemy, and the persecution of God's people. So you think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. What did he try and do to Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He said, you worship my statue or else? And they said, or else. (laughs) And they went into the fire and God saved them. Okay, so a picture of the persecution of God's people. And in John's day, when the book of Revelation was written, Rome, which is the capital of the Roman Empire, epitomized and represented all the antagonism and opposition to the Christian faith. And it was like the clearest embodiment or picture of the Babylonian mystery religion and also the Babylonian economic system. So think of it this way. It's not just a place and it's not just a one religion, okay, one false one type of false religion. It's a world system, okay? Both the government and the religious side of it. It represents something that's bigger than one city 
or one false religion. So let's get into it. Let's go verse by verse. Revelation 17, 1 and 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, that is sexual immorality, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So, it says there in verse 1, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. So, this takes us back to chapter 16. It's one of the angels who was in the temple who was given one of these golden bowls or censers which had the incense on it and was poured out onto the earth. It also says in verse 1, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Remember the harlot is Mystery Babylon. It tells us later the religious system. Her judgment is assured. So this religious system we're going to find out has been persecuting God's people. Here, God is promising that it will fall. It will be judged. Now, a quote from David Guzik, it says, As a religious system, we're talking about this mystery Babylon religion, right? As a religious system, Babylon came into being long before Christianity. And Satan knew what was going to happen because God said in Genesis 3.15, what did he say? The seed of the woman will crush your head, right? So the seed of the woman means a virgin birth. And also this seed of the woman would be the saviour of mankind. So what does Satan do? He sets up a false trinity. He sets up a false saviour. He sets up a false resurrection. Okay? So he sets up a false gospel, basically. I'm going to read this quote from David Guzik, and that will help you get the picture of what's happening here, the origins of Mystery Babylon religion. So it goes like this. Also, as a religious system, Babylon came into being long before Christianity, but in satanic imitation, it anticipated the coming true Messiah. According to religious history and legend, the Babylonian religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod, a great-grandson of Noah, named Simiramis. She was a high priestess of idol worship, and she gave birth to a son who, who she claimed was conceived miraculously like without a man. The son named Tammuz was considered a saviour. Many ancient artefacts remain with the familiar motif of the mother Simiramis holding the saviour infant Tamus. Sound familiar? Which predate Christianity. It was also said that Tamus was killed by a wild beast and then miraculously brought back to life. Now, Baal, I didn't know this before I started studying this chapter, Baal was the local Canaanite name for Tamus. So as you go through the Old Testament and you read about the false gods they used to worship, the idols, Baal is always in there. It's Tamuz. Yeah, that's really interesting. So this mystery Babylon religion was actively worshipped all the way through in all these other cultures. This had different names to represent the same god. Most of the time it was different names to represent the same false god. 
So, for example, here again, Baal was the local Canaanite name for the Babylonian Tamers. And what did Israel do? They wanted to worship Baal, yeah? So Israel was sucked into this Babylonian mystery religion as well in some parts of their history. Now, the Bible makes specific mention of some of the features of the religion of this mystery Babylon. In Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 14, Ezekiel protests against a ceremony of weeping for tamers. That was something the women were doing. And in Jeremiah, it mentions the heathen practice of making cakes for the Queen of Heaven. Now, who's the Queen of Heaven? Well, that's Semiramis. Okay. And that's Jeremiah 7.18. And also another place in Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 17 to 19, and 44, chapter 25, they are offering incense to the Queen of Heaven. Again, Semiramis. Now, something that's closer to home, our Easter celebrations are based on this mystery religion, Okay, this mystery Babylon. Like Christmas, Easter was a pagan festival linked to the mystery Babylon religion. But it was Christianized, so they took these symbols and put new meanings to them. Rome accepted, the Roman Empire accepted Christianity in 313 AD, but then 10 years later, in 323 AD, Christianity became the state religion. So the truth is that the 40 days of Lent, the eggs, the rabbits, the hot cross buns, and the Easter ham have everything to do with the ancient pagan religion of mystery Babylon. Now, here's an example. I'm not going to go spend too much time on this. I mean, we can get sidetracked on this quite a lot. But <laughs> For example, Semiramis became known as Ishtar, that's I-S-H-T-A-R, which is pronounced Easter. And her moon egg became known as Ishtar's or Easter's egg. <laughs> So that's just one of those things. So I'm going to put it out there. So you can search that for yourself. All right. Now, my point here is not to say that we shouldn't celebrate Easter or that we should ban Easter eggs. Okay. We can use the Christianized symbols to promote the gospel. That's fine. All right. Don't have a problem with that. But my point here is that this mystery Babylon religion is deeply embedded into our culture. It survived all this time. And it was actively worshipped you know, before 330 or so AD as its pure form. And it wasn't Christianized. So it survived all these thousands of years. And it will be revived in the tribulation period as a one world religion. Now, verse 1, it says, Who sits on many waters. Well, what did I say before? The Bible interprets the Bible. If you go to verse 15, what does it say? Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot, that's the false religious system, Mystery Babylon, sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So basically, the whole world. She sits on many waters. She's ruling over many waters. She's the head of these many waters, all these nations, peoples, multitudes and tongues, everybody. This is a fully one-world global religion. So this is what it's going to be like during the seven-year tribulation. In the first half, there will be a one-world religion which 
people will be forced to join up to. So, some people say that, oh, this is the Catholic Church. I've got some quotes here, all right, and this might help set us straight on that conception, all right? Because I don't think it's quite true. David Guzik says, this is unification, talking about this mystery Babylon, this uh, false religion. This is unification of all false, idolatrous religion with representatives from apostate Catholicism, Protestantism, as well as a smorgasbord of other religions of the world. So it's not just the Catholics, it's us Protestants as well. There's parts of us which are heathen and wrong, and they'll go into that false religion as well. And David Hocking said, the woman pictures false religion that will dominate the world in the tribulation period. And David Guzik says, many people like to identify this great harlot with the Roman Catholic Church, but false religion is not limited to any one church. Okay, So I think you've got to be a bit careful about linking it to one particular church. But even if it was, you can't make the same conclusion and apply that to the people. You can't apply that to the people in the organization. They could be saved. Yes, the organization is corrupt, but the people in it may not be. Okay, verse 2. The inhabitants of the earth are made drunk. So religious Babylon, this false satanic religion, causes all people to become intoxicated or drunk, so to speak. It's a figure of speech, right? So what happens when a person is drunk? Well, do they have discernment anymore? No, they lose their discernment, right? <laughs> and they lose their common sense. Okay? So basically, they do things that are both wrong, like, you know, a girl will go out get drinking and she'll get pregnant because she loses her discernment, she loses her common sense. And then people also do things which are very dangerous, like they have too much to drink and they'll drive and they'll kill someone. So, spiritually speaking, this spiritual drunkenness, their lack of discernment means that they will no longer have any understanding of wrong or right. And their lack of common sense means that they will lose any sense of danger. So what this means is that those who dwell on the earth, the unbelievers, will have had their conscience seared so it doesn't feel or doesn't discern wrong or right anymore. And they will carry on in their sin oblivious and blind and uncaring about the coming eternal judgment that they know is coming, that they've been warned about so many times. In verse 2, it says, made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So this idea in the scriptures is a very important thing that we need to understand. It's the idea of fornication or sexual immorality or adultery has strong associations with idolatry. So the Bible often calls worshipping false idols as adultery or fornication. And worshipping the idols and the demons they present is called idolatry. And the Old Testament describes this as religious prostitution. So it's not a physical prostitution, it's a religious prostitution. So I'm going to put a verse up to demonstrate this. It's Hosea chapter 9, verse 1. It says, O people of Israel, do not rejoice as other nations do, for you have been unfaithful to your God, hiring yourselves out like prostitutes 
worshipping other gods on every threshing floor. <laughs> so, hiring yourself out like prostitutes, unfaithful to God, moving away from God, turning their backs on God, and worshipping other gods. And God says, you're like a prostitute. You're leaving your first love, you're leaving your husband, and you're going to some other guy or some other girl. All right, Another religion, another false religion. Now, Hosea also tells us of the behavior that goes along with these false religions. So, Hosea chapter 4, verses 10 to 15, it says, They will play the prostitute and gain nothing from it, for they have deserted the Lord to worship other gods. So, notice again, they will play the prostitute, for they have deserted the Lord okay, to worship other gods. So, religious prostitution. Wine has robbed my people of their understanding. They ask, a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols have made them foolish. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. So again, it's very clear. They have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. And it continues in verse 13 in Hosea chapter 4. They offer sacrifices to idols on the mountaintops. They go up into the hills to burn incense in the pleasant shade of oaks, poplars, and temperance trees. That is why your daughters turn to prostitution. This is physical, real prostitution. And your daughters-in-law commit adultery. Real adultery. But why should I punish them for their prostitution and adultery? For your men are doing the same thing, sinning with whores and shrine prostitutes. O foolish people, you refuse to understand, so you will be destroyed. Verse 15, Though you, Israel, are a prostitute, may Judah not be guilty of such things. Do not join in the false worship at Gigal or beth and do not take oaths there in whose name? God's name. False worship in the name of God, yeah? And it was leading to physical, sexual, real sexual immorality within that nation. Okay? So the religious prostitution led to real physical prostitution. So when you walk away from the true and living God, your behavior will start to become like the world's behavior. It will start to become loose. It will start to become unrestrained. You can also see Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 and Ezekiel 23, 19. There's many others. Again, in every case, it's referring to this turning away from the truth of God, the true worship of God, and turning to false religion, religious prostitution. Now, the verses in Hosea 4 show us why it's so easy to fall into this false religion, this empty religion. They could do what they wanted to do. They were happy. Yeah? They could get drunk. They could have orgies. They could have regular sex with the temple prostitutes. What a great life. Not. <laughs> we know better. But that's the kind of lifestyle that the unbeliever wants. All this world wants and craves is to be able to do whatever brings them the most pleasure. And that's what this one world religion is going to offer. It's going to look like a you know, you're really spiritual, but basically it's just giving you a way to get what you want. 
Now, it's not just Israel who did this. It was also the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians. So if we go to Nahum chapter 3, verse 4, it says, All this because Nineveh, the beautiful and faithless city, mistress of deadly charms, enticed the nations with her beauty. She taught them all her magic, enchanting people everywhere. So while Assyria was the world kingdom or the strongest kingdom for that period of time, she was causing religious prostitution in the countries around her. And it also brings in the fact that this religious prostitution brings with it sorcery and witchcraft. What does that involve? It's demons. Okay, So this false religious system will be energized by demons as it has been all through history. But it's going to come to a huge climax during the first half of the seven-year tribulation. Demons, more than at any other time in history, will be actively involved in deceiving people and causing them to become joined to this one-world religious system. So, Psalm 106, verses 36 to 39, describes what the children of Israel did as they worshipped the false god Baal, or Tammuz. It says, They worshipped their idols, which led to their downfall. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. They polluted the land with murder. They defiled themselves by the evil deeds, and their love of idols was adultery in the Lord's sight. Again, spiritual prostitution. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. And then a bit further down, in verse 38, by sacrificing them to the idols of Canaan. So, behind the idols are always demons. This is not something you play around with. When you're worshipping in a false religion, you're actually not worshipping God. You're worshipping Satan, demons. Okay. Idol worship is demon worship. Another verse that helps us understand this, makes it clear. Leviticus 17 verse 7, talking to the people of Israel as they are in the wilderness. The people must no longer be unfaithful to the Lord by offering sacrifices to the goat idols, or literally demons. You know how you get that satanic symbol with the goat head? Satar, I think it's called. This is a permanent law for them to be observed from generation to generation. This is what they were doing in Egypt. So the children of Israel were sacrificing to demons, these goat figures, in Egypt, according to Leviticus. So, Mystery Babylon, in its final form, this false religious system, in its final form during the first half of the tribulation, will be a well-accepted and classy-looking one-world religious system. A classy-looking, a well-organized, spiritual-looking, one-world religious system. But, in God's eyes, it will be a prostitute, a low-class whore. And we will learn in the coming verses, it will appear as attractive and spiritual, but it will be very immoral. It will just appeal to the fleshly appetites of our sinful nature. And that's why it will be so easily accepted by the people who dwell on the earth the unbelievers, those who reject the truth and choose to be deceived. That's it. They choose to love their sin more than they love God, and so they join this system instead of God. Okay, They choose not to worship God 
and choose to worship as part of this false religion. It's no different, it will be no different to the children of Israel seeking to have their physical appetites fulfilled as they engaged in the worship of these false gods. Okay, remember that the guys were, you know, doing the thing with the ritual harlots and stuff. So remember what Revelation 9, 20 and 21 says about the people caught up in Mystery Babylon, false religious system during the time of the seven year tribulation? It says in Revelation 9, 20, 21, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of what? The work of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, drugs, witchcraft, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. This is what's going to happen in the tribulation. This is what people will be doing. That is the essence of this one world religion. Now today, applying this to us, what does our culture worship? Is there really much difference between our culture and what's coming? No, not really, is there? Okay. What are we worshipping? Sex, money, sorcery, which is drugs and witchcraft. Thefts, you know, people are stealing stuff. The whole moral compass of their culture is just down the tubes. So this is the reason that it's going to be so difficult to be a tribulation believer in those times. Now, we think it's hard now, but it's nothing like it will be then. You will have to choose whether or not you will be a part of this one world religious system where it will promote and basically mandate this kind of behavior. You'll be thought of as strange if you don't participate in this kind of evil behavior, sexual immorality, all those things, you know. Today we have problems with, you know, a baker getting sued for not making a cake for a homosexual couple. Well, that's nothing compared to what it's going to be like in the tribulation. Why? Because verse 6 tells us that this woman, this mystery of Babylon, false religion, is drunk with the blood of the saints. It's a picture of her killing believers, tribulation believers, tribulation saints. So even before the Antichrist starts his campaign or his program to annihilate tribulation believers and Israel at the halfway point, you know, three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, we have this false religion, this mystery Babylon, one-world religion, already being responsible for the death of many tribulation saints or believers. So it's not going to be easy to be a Christian in this time. Okay, tremendous pressure. Now we're going to move on to verses 3 to 5. It says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and the abominations of the earth. Wow. <laughs> the mother of all harlots and the abominations of the earth. This is it. This is the root of all the false religion in the world. 
So he carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness. Now why? Why did the spirit have to carry John away into the wilderness? Well, wilderness here means a desolate, lonely, deserted place. This world is basically, in God's eyes, it's a wilderness. It's a wasteland. False religion, sin, has turned this beautiful world into a metaphoric jungle. And people are lonely. People are out of relationship with God. Why did God create people? To be in relationship with Him. So, True unity, true fellowship, true love can only be found in Christ when people are saved and are walking or living by the power of the Spirit. And the rest of the world will never understand what it means to experience true fellowship, true love, and to be in relationship with the true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And so this picture, this word picture of being in a wilderness. In Song of Songs and other places, God describes close relationship as like a beautiful garden. Okay, God wants us to come out of the wilderness into a beautiful garden to be in relationship with him. And verse 3 says, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which is full of names of blasphemy and having seven heads and ten horns. So, it's the same woman. A woman is the same woman. It's Mystery Babylon, the false religious system, the one world religion during the tribulation. But here... She is riding on a beast. She's sitting on top of a beast. Now, we know that this beast is the last world empire, the last kingdom which will rule the world. It will have ten kings which together will rule the world. And they will give their authority to the Antichrist. And that's how the Antichrist comes to power. These ten kings submit to him and they give him their power. And so this beast represents the economic mystery Babylon. So we have the religious mystery Babylon and the economic or government political mystery Babylon and they are very much intertwined. They need each other. One supports the other. One helps the other. And there's a, a quote from a guy called Valvord. Her position, that of riding the beast, indicates on the one hand that she is supported by the political power of the beast, so the false religion is supported by the economic system and the government, and on the other, that she is in a dominant role and at least outwardly controls and directs the beast. So think of someone riding a horse. If I want to get from you know here to Bendy Creek or something like that quickly, I can ride my horse, yeah? I can get there pretty quick. Without the horse, it would take me a long, long time. But at the same time, who's controlling the horse? So, the horse needs me, I need the horse. They need each other. But what's going to happen at the end of the chapter is we're going to see that the one world government, the Antichrist, once he gets what he wants from this religious system, which is control of the world, he's going to destroy it. He doesn't need her anymore. He doesn't need this woman. He doesn't need this one world religion. And so at the halfway point, he and the ten kings are going to destroy it. And they're going to, the Antichrist and Satan are going to take all worship to themselves. 
So Revelation 17, 16, 17 explains this. It says, And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, this one world religion, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be a one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So here it's very clear, there's ten kings who are basically ruling the world in this one world government. They give their authority to the Antichrist, the beast. They all have one mind to hate this one world religion and they destroy it at the halfway point. So in place of people worshipping this one world religion, what does Satan do? Well, at this time, halfway point in the tribulation, the Antichrist receives a mortal blow to his head, he's assassinated, he's killed, and he comes back to life. And then the false prophet demands that people worship the image of the Antichrist. And so basically, if you don't worship his image, you die. You have to take his mark and worship his image. And so then in the second half of the tribulation, it won't be the one world religion, it'll be direct Satan worship. We'll get into that more next week as we go through the second half of the chapter. So, back to verse 3 of chapter 17. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. So, the beast or world empire, this government, this economic system, is full of names of blasphemy, that is, blasphemy against God. And it shows that the economic and political world system has been impermeated or polluted or influenced by the religious system. It is evil and anti-God at its core. Now, I don't know if you can look around the world and kind of see that for yourself these days. Can you notice that the government, or many governments around the world, are quite evil and have an evil agenda? This is an example of what's happening here. So there's an application here. From God's perspective, the woman, religious mystery Babylon, and the beast, the Antichrist and his world empire, are seen as just a whore and you know just a beast. But from the point of view of the people on the earth, it's going to be, wow, this is a fantastic religion. You know, this is really helping me. This is making me feel good. Look at how wealthy this system is. Look at how well run it is. Look how, look how good it is. It's going to be appealing. It's going to appear spiritual. It's going to appear to be real. But it's not. And verse 4, this is why, it's so appealing. The woman is clothed with emblems of luxury. So purple, gold, precious stones. And scarlet represents government in the scriptures. So she looks like she's doing really well. She looks like she's a real thing. She looks like she's, you know, something that's worthy of worship, worthy of you committing yourself to. But what does God say is on the inside? Filthiness of her fornication or sexual immorality. Again, she's going to look good on the outside. So we look at it from God's perspective here. It's a harlot, it's a whore, right? But if you're in the tribulation, this one world religion is going to look quite good. It's going to come across as looking quite good. It's going to be appealing. All right? It's not going to come across as obviously evil. 
And I want to apply this to us. Think of the Pharisees first, okay? They were caught up in what I call empty religion. So, Matthew 23, verses 27 to 28. It says, What sorrow awaits you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside but filled on the inside with dead men's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So I'm drawing a comparison here between the mystery Babylon, the one world ecumenical religion, with the empty religion of the Pharisees. They both look good on the outside, but they were not. So on the outside, they were rich and successful and, and appeared to be blessed by God. They appeared to be good people. They appeared to be seeking God. They appeared to be following the Bible. They appeared to be honorable people. They had a lot of political power. But again, what did Jesus say about them? They were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. There's no life. There's no relationship with God. It's just empty religion. And that's why Jesus has such harsh words for them. So, this brings us to a very important application for the church today. So we applied it to Judaism in Jesus' time. What about now in our church? Well, I believe it's already started. This empty religion, this drawing away to worship this empty religion is already started. It doesn't happen overnight. Many in the church left behind after the rapture due to poor Bible teaching, or they won't even believe in the rapture, and they're already a part of a church that teaches empty religion. It's not about the gospel. It's about fitting into a particular set of beliefs and traditions, really. It's just following some traditions. It has a facade of spirituality, but it's really anti-God. So, unfortunately, I don't think that the mystery Babylon, one of a religion in the first half of the tribulation, will be much different to what a lot of people experience in some churches today. So, the application for us, we need to have spiritual discernment to know the true from the false. True converts from the false converts. Paul warned Timothy that in the last days there will be some specific signs of the end times. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and some verses from verses 1 to 9. It says, You should know this, Timothy. Interesting. You should know this, right? We should know this. That in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to the parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Now, if you stop there, you think, well, that's not people in the church. What's he talking about? Everyone knows there's people like that. But verse 5, what does it say? They will act religious. <laughs> These are the people who are acting religious. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And the Bible's instruction, stay away from people like that. And then in verse 8, these teachers oppose the truth. The context is teachers in the church. These teachers are opposing the truth. 
And the example it uses is as Jane's and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Notice that? A counterfeit faith, a false faith. Verse 9, but they won't get away with this for long. <laughs> Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Jenny's and Jambres. And that's what the Bible says in First Timothy. So what's important here? Well, despite their evil and wicked lifestyle, they will still act religious. They will still follow traditions. They will still attend some kind of religious service or meeting. They'll go through some rituals. But they're not going to be godly. There's going to be no change in heart, no repentance. And what does Paul say? Stay away from people like that. And the teachers will oppose the truth. So, these are counted as teachers of religion. They are shown respect, given authority, and are supported. But again, God promises that his judgment against them is coming. And again, another prophecy about this being a last days phenomenon is the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Think of this church as being the empty religion church. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold, that is, in open rebellion against God, nor hot, a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, that is, pretending to be a disciple of Christ when you're not, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And it continues on in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's relationship, right? If you repent, you can have relationship with God. What I want to point out, just to finish here, is that the white garments deal with a problem here. The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with the leaves. God said, no, no, it's not good enough. You need an animal skin. You need a saviour to save you from your sin. You need someone to die in your place. These people are not clothed. You see that? These people are not clothed. Jesus is outside of the church. He's outside of their heart. He wants to come in, but they must repent first. Nothing's changed. This message is always going to be the same. If we don't receive Jesus' gift of pardon, his forgiveness, if we don't repent, we are lost. So if you've never repented of your sins and turned to God, if you never counted the cost and made the conscious decision to make Jesus the most important part of your life and to be willing to do and obey anything he commands and then ask to receive God's gift of pardon, then do it today and escape the snare of empty religion and you can experience a true relationship with God.
So that's my prayer for those who are not saved and for us who are, that we will do what Paul said and stay away from such people because they're going to be a bad influence on us. They're going to pull us down. Use your sense of discernment that God has given you. Pray for discernment. Now next week we're going to see all this plays out during the tribulation and how it all works. And God is going to use one evil entity, one evil organization to destroy another. (laughs) Isn't that funny? God is in control. God puts it into their hearts to destroy this one world religion. So, again, God is in control. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Lord, what we see happening is mass deception, a worldwide, one world religion, which is going to deceive people. It's going to give people a false hope with false promises, a false saviour. False deliverance, everything false, counterfeit teachers, counterfeit faith. Lord, it's all like the Antichrist is a counterfeit Jesus. This one religion is going to be a counterfeit Christianity. So, Father, I just pray that you'll give us um, strength now to keep following you with all our hearts and mind and strength because we know the scriptures say that. In the last days, the love of many will grow cold. We pray that our hearts will not grow cold as these difficult days come upon us, when sin abounds and the love of many will grow cold. Help us to draw close to you, to have fellowship with each other, to encourage each other, so that our hearts will not be deceived and hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.